The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line. You're on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on a gorgeous Tuesday afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area. Hope you all had a fantastic Memorial Day weekend, a long weekend at that. Of course, uh, we were not here yesterday. I know I enjoyed the day off, the long weekend. I hope you all did as well. Got lots to talk about today on this Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob going alongside me as always is Carter Bird. Carter, happy Tuesday. How was your long weekend, man? Yeah, it was good. It was good to get uh, the the extra day to kind of recharge the uh, batteries yeah. and get ready for uh, what's going to be a really fun weekend here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a busy, busy week. A really fun weekend coming up in Auburn. Has How was your holiday weekend? It was all right. <laughs> no, it was it was actually it was pretty good. I can't lie. Played a little golf this weekend. Uh, got outside in the beautiful weather we had. Uh, watched all kinds of sports and stuff. So no, it was it was a really good weekend. Besides the result last night, it was a good weekend. And so uh, yes, we we enjoyed our day off yesterday. Hope you all did as well. And uh, again, Memorial Day weekend, I uh, just want to shout out all of those that have served and uh, still serving and have uh, sacrificed their lives for what we get to do every single day. And so we appreciate uh, everybody active and, and retired and, and all that in the military. And so we appreciate that for Memorial Day weekend as we start another busy week here on ESPN 106.7. Lots to talk about today, right? So much to talk about with Auburn. You have baseball we got to talk about. We have basketball news we got to talk about. We even have some football stuff we got to talk about so it's a busy show today it's a really busy week for us uh, we've got yes. some really good guests coming in the studio and on the phones this week so um we should not have any problem finding some things to talk about this week yeah what well, one of which uh when we have one of our guests on this week who covers kentucky yeah. i want to i want to confront him about what the heck is that regional yeah, and did you see the news about what's happening? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, okay. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah, it's a disaster in Lexington. A disaster in Lexington. Well, Lance Dahl will join us tomorrow. Not today. He'll join us tomorrow. A good friend of ours, good friend of the show and the program. Uh, he will be joining us in studio tomorrow of Locked On Kentucky and contributor for Auburn Daily. So, yeah, excited to do, yeah. to see what he has to say about the disaster that is Lexington right yeah, now. If, if Lance is out there listening right now, Lance, you need to be ready to defend Kentucky for this just debacle that they're having this weekend. <laughs> Which look, if, if anybody knows Kentucky, it's 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 Lance, but that's a disaster. We'll talk about that coming up today and of course tomorrow when Lance joins us. But here's on here's what the uh, rundown looks like today. We're gonna start with Auburn baseball, the SEC tournament, the regionals, as eight SEC teams are hosting a regional that is half of the entire field that is hosting. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about all the teams that made it into the NCAA tournament in college baseball. What does Auburn need to do? That'll be the conversation throughout the week, right? We'll recap the 
SEC tournament. Talk about all that coming up here throughout the show today. Also, some basketball news about Janai Broom and his future, whether he goes pro or comes back to Auburn. Uh, if you haven't seen that news, we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. That'll be at 2.30. Then in hour number two, we'll recap all that. Plus, talk about the SEC spring meetings that are going on this week and how that impacts college football because there is one big topic of conversation about the SEC schedule and we'll talk about that coming up in hour number two but no guests today phone lines are wide open we want to hear from you uh, reactions from over the weekend predictions for the week ahead we'd love to hear from you phone lines are open give us a call 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 give us a call be on the line we want to hear from you and Carter we'll start as I said with baseball Auburn for the second year in a row they are hosting a regional at Plainsman Park they are one of the eight SEC teams that will host a regional Uh, what a big honor this is for Auburn baseball and a testament to what as we talk about all the time what Butch Thompson has done here on the Plains oh yeah I mean what Butch has done at Auburn I mean he is starting to form a resume that, I mean, I think he's close right now. I think you can maybe almost give it to him already uh, of best baseball coach in Auburn history, greatest baseball coach in Auburn history. I mean, how Baird's there and then Butch Thompson is, if he's not even, he's really close behind. Uh, And, I mean, another run to the College World Series, have it be three, what, in the last four College World Series? If he does that this year, that would be – tremendous and it would be something Auburn hasn't seen in a long time and just the way that he has methodically built this program because tell me if this shocks you but this is another instance of an Auburn coach that took over a program that was in a state of turmoil for whatever reason the end of the Senegal Galloway era was really ugly It did not happen at the proper time. Butch Thompson did not get to see his first team practice at all in the fall because of how that went down. Sonny Galloway obviously got fired uh, for cause for violating the practice rules of the NCAA after fall practice wrapped up. And so Butch Thompson's first time his first year seeing his team was when they rolled out the practice in January. Mm -hmm. And it was rocky to start. It was, and in my opinion, Sonny Galloway never built the program. He never built the program's foundation in a way that lent itself to long-term success. It was a lot of junior college players. I think that raises your floor, yes, but very much lowers your ceiling. Butch Thompson got back into high school recruiting, did really, really well, built the program up. 29 every time he's gone to the postseason he's progressed he went to a regional at florida state got all the way to the championship came just short they go to a regional in raleigh against nc state they win that regional they go to a super regional against florida and they come up just short in game three then they go to georgia tech they win that regional they they um, beat UNC at their super regional. They beat go the to drums Omaha. off of UNC, and then we've seen them since. They hosted a regional. I mean, it's a progressive step up with mm-hmm. all of these. 
They host a regional. They go across the country to Oregon State for a Super Regional. They upset that team that was really, really good. They go to Omaha. They actually win a game in Omaha for the first time in forever. He may not. I'm not saying he's going to win the College World Series or he's going to win a bunch of games in Omaha or he's even going to get to Omaha. But the foundation is set. It's continually being built. And this season is a really great microcosm of his tenure. He took over a team that, through injuries and freshmen not living up to the to the standard early, it was rocky to start, and they turned it around. They got better and better and better as the season went on, and they rightfully are going to host a regional. And that's where I was going to go and piggyback off of that is this season, I think almost more than any other, shows what Butch Thompson can do as a head baseball coach in college baseball and in the SEC, as we talked about uh, to, to, the, to the moon and back on Friday, just about how good the SEC truly is. And you see that right now with, what, 10 teams in, in the uh, NCAA tournament and eight of them are hosting a regional. You think about what this season was for Auburn baseball and halfway through, as we mentioned on this program before, We sat here and we were debating, Carter, we were debating whether Auburn baseball would make the postseason. And here they are hosting a regional. It's a truly incredible comeback for what this team did, what they've gone through with injuries. And as you mentioned, maybe some guys not living up to what they were supposed to be. All of that is out the window. Sure, you quote-unquote came up short in Hoover, but you also got over the hump and you won in Hoover for the first time in five years. And you secured yourself a regional host. And so, yeah, I think with with Butch Thompson, not only is is he one of the best coaches in all of college baseball, the discussion comes back around of, is he the best coach at Auburn right now? And that's that's a big conversation to have with a guy like Bruce Pearl, who's just right across the road in Neville Arena. Uh, okay. I mean, we can have that, that conversation. I think it's between Bruce uh, and Butch. And Bruce has done amazing things. I think Bruce has taken a program that never dreamt of the success that it's had. Uh, Butch has taken them from a higher floor where he started, and he's gotten to the top more often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very great conversation. I'm tempted to give the edge to Bruce right now. Now, if Butch goes and takes his team to the College World Series again, then it's Butch. But again, I think I think we've we're, we've yet to see the best version of the Bruce Pearl's Auburn teams, and I think that's because I've I've talked about it on the show before. The handcuffs are finally off. The mm-hmm. all the obstacles and barricades and and minefields in front of Bruce Pearl finally gone. And the runway kind of feels like it's clearing for Bruce Pearl to really elevate a program that's already elevated. Mm -hmm. And that's a a really fun conversation that we can have uh, on a rainy day. But with Auburn baseball hosting a regional for the second year in a row, uh, that is historical in itself. You have one of eight SEC teams that are hosting. You had Vanderbilt win the SEC tournament in Hoover. Shout out to Texas A&M, man. Just like they have in in other sports down the stretch, and when you get into postseason play, that team got hot. They got hot, and they made a run in Hoover all the way to the SEC championship game. Yes, they came up short, but 
credit to them, man. That's a scary two seed. We talked about it last week. I would not want to see Texas A&M as a two seed rolling into a regional right now. Not at all. Not at all. No. I mean, you you don't want to see a team like that at all. You don't want to... I mean, frankly, if I'm a one seed, I don't want to see any of the SEC two seeds Mm -hmm. because they're all like Clemson. Well, Tennessee has the pitching to go win that regional. They absolutely do. And I think some, uh, I think Parker uh, Stats of War on uh, Twitter, he ran his 10,000 simulations or 1,000 simulations of each regional. I think he had Tennessee making it out of that regional like 42 point something percent of the time wow. being the most likely team to make it out of Clemson. Wow. I mean, they this tournament's going to be a lot of fun, mm-hmm. let me tell you, because and, I'm not sure outside of Wake Forest there's any team that you have seen that's just like wire to wire just dominant and have not shown any weaknesses. I mean, we've seen it with LSU at times. Outside of Paul Skeens, rotation's not as strong. We saw South Carolina collapse. Uh, we've seen Florida and Arkansas at times lose some games. Vanderbilt, I just don't think, has any pop in the lineup. They're fast as can be. I think they're beatable. I mean, I think I think all the SEC teams are beatable, but they're all capable of making a Domo. Doesn't this feel eerily similar to what we were talking about, what, three months ago with the NCAA basketball tournament where you could have an entire handful of teams that you could convince yourself and convince others this team is going to win the national championship? No, actually it's going to be this team that wins it or that team or that other team, right? I think this baseball tournament for college baseball feels pretty similar to what we were talking about a few months ago where you have numerous amounts of teams that A, can make it to Omaha and B, can win the national championship. I'm with you. I think Wake Forest is probably the the favorite. I think they've played that way all season long. But we know crazy things happen in this NCAA tournament. We know crazier oh, yeah. things have happened in Omaha. So it's funny to think about how we talk about the NCAA baseball tournament right now with so many good teams that have a chance to make a run. We were just talking about that with basketball a few months ago. Look, in our lifetime, Fresno State and Coastal Carolina have won baseball at national championships. That's all you need to know mm-hmm. about just how wide open this is. Because you don't even really see that in college basketball. We got close this year with San Diego State in the championship, but like it's crazy rare in basketball to see just like a G5, like really little school go win a championship. Not really the case in baseball. We've seen it. And, and I mean, heck, I mean, Go look at the enrollment at Wake Forest. They're the number one overall seed. That's a real. That's the. I think that's the smallest P five school in America. I didn't know that. I know they're really small. I didn't know if that's the that's the stat on that or not. But you're right. I think with baseball, it is different because you have smaller schools that have success. Coastal, I think, is a really really good example versus basketball, where it was a miracle to see a school like San Diego State or FAU make the Final Four. Whereas in baseball, you're right. You see smaller schools not only make runs, but be consistently good in the game of college baseball. So 
It's exciting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Auburn hosting a regional again for the second time in a row. That is a uh, that's a huge testament to Butch and what uh, Auburn baseball not only is this year, but what they have become. Um, I think that with this team and their draw in their regional, I think Auburn should be able to get out of it if you can bounce back from the performance in Hoover, which it wasn't bad. It just wasn't up to what we knew this Auburn team could be. I think if you play well, you can beat Penn. You can beat all of these teams, right? You can beat Sanford. These teams, you should be able to beat if you're Auburn, including Southern Miss with that as well. Penn is one of the toughest four seeds in this tournament, but Auburn should, should still beat that team. Sanford played Auburn when Auburn was way down, way low early in the year. Auburn still handled business in those games. So, you know you can beat Sanford. You know you can beat Penn. Southern Miss, they're a really tough two seed. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a challenge. They're a 41-win team. And the the they have your classic team of destiny storyline. The head coach is retiring after this year. So, it's going to be emotional. How much extra juice does that give Southern Miss? Which, by the way, I want to bring this up. Because Southern Miss fans are... Auburn is a very easy target for disdain when it comes to hosts. Yes, I know that it was very chalky with RPI except for Auburn. But Auburn was the 13th seed. I know John Cohen is the chairman of the committee. I know that. But look, you should not be upset with Auburn getting to host if you're upset... If you're a Campbell fan, if you're a Southern Miss fan, if you're any one of these teams that just missed out on hosting, your gripe is with South Carolina. Mm-hmm. No South doubt. South Carolina finished, what, 5-12, and 5-13 down the stretch? It was bad. Auburn was one of the hottest teams in America, and yes, they went 1-2 and two in the SEC tournament. Okay. They played Vanderbilt and Alabama, two teams in the top 10 of the RPI. I mean... That's going to happen in the SEC. Mm-hmm. But the way that they finished the regular season and the fact that we have not really seen here in recent history an eight or a 17-win SEC team that has a top 19 RPI, not host, like the, the precedent, if, we, if we're going to talk about it like a legal case, the precedent was set. This was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Auburn's 13... Auburn's not that close, according to the, to the committee, right. of being on the outside looking in. South Carolina, we can have that discussion. And we can, and we will, because strength of schedule plays into that as well. Plus, how about a team that made it in that had no business being there, but they're going to play in the NCAA tournament. We can talk about that way, later as well. Wake Forest is the smallest P5 school in the country. How about that? They are I also did not know that. The fourth smallest school to ever be ranked number one in basketball. Interesting. The How only, about that? The only schools ahead of it are LaSalle, St. Joseph's, and I think Holy Cross. Look at you pulling out the stats and the information here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. we got to get to our first break of the show. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you on this Tuesday afternoon. 334-321-1390. Question of the day coming up. You know how it is. Best and worst things we saw from over the long Memorial Day weekend in sports. We'll talk about that when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. 
Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, question of the day here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We do it every Monday usually, but of course we were not here yesterday with the long weekend, and so we're doing it on Tuesday. Carter, and to our listeners as well, uh, we'd love to hear what the best and worst things we saw over the weekend. And before we do that, I actually have a phone call. want to get to him first. Uh, 334-321-1390. And Dak, you're on the line. Happy Tuesday, man. Welcome in. Hey, happy Tuesday. Yeah, it is, Dak. What you got, man? I mean, just reflecting back on the on the season uh, that we just had in the yeah. SEC tournament, man. Texas A and M, man they they uh, they came in that thing uh, and really got better, didn't they? Yeah, they oh, did. Yeah. They they made a they made a run well, just I mean, like they did in basketball. They're a good team. Yep. I mean, they went to the College World Series last year. I just don't think the regular season has gone according to plan for them. But but they. They're they're a good team with a great coach. They just went to the College World Series, and it feels like it just came together. And they got really hot at the right time. And I mean, I think that they're they should be everybody's sleeper pick to make it to Omaha now. Yeah, their pitching came. Their pitching is what really yes. came on at the end. And mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but yeah. All right, so guys, with, who do you think? Let's say we win our this region. Mm-hmm. What's the chances that we're going to end up playing the SEC team uh, next? Well, okay, if, if you win your regional with the way that you are paired right now, I believe you go play uh, the four seed, so you'd be going up to Clemson if Clemson wins their regional. Now, if Tennessee wins that regional, which, as we said in the first segment, is uh, – some models are projecting Tennessee as the most likely team to win the Clemson Regional, and Auburn wins their their regional. Tennessee would come to Auburn for a super regional. That's what's going to happen, guys. Mark it down. I, I like it. I, I like. I like that prediction, Dak. I love it. Look, I think I think Tennessee is going to go into Clemson, and Clemson, arguably the hottest team in the country, Tennessee is going to beat them. I think so too, and I think because it goes back to last year, uh, you know. With the with the you know everybody just penciled them in and they get upset so you know they're due so I think that's going to happen I, I think it'll come down that'll be a huge weekend wouldn't it if Tennessee mm-hmm. came here yeah oh it'd be it'd be massive it would absolutely be massive but here's the important thing is Auburn has to take care of business because Southern Miss is no pushover and neither is Penn I don't think right right and uh, but changing subject a little bit guys. In this day and time, the landscape of baseball has changed a great deal over the last 10 years. Yeah. So why, why, guys, is it that you still have the, the, the 10 scholarships for 30 players? Well, why, why has that not changed? Why is that staying the same? Well, I think it's still a Title IX issue. Now, what a lot of teams in the SEC – Auburn and Alabama do not get this benefit because of being in the state of Alabama with uh, no state lottery or no um, whatever the, 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 the Hope Scholarship is it in, in Georgia. Right. Uh, all these different right. different factors. Every other SEC team besides Auburn and Alabama, and maybe there's another one, I don't think there is, uh, has some sort of way to supplement baseball scholarships. Georgia right. has it with the Hope Scholarship. Uh, Mississippi State, and this is why you have so many Alabama right, kids yeah. go play at Mississippi State. Is if you make like a twenty-one on the ACT somewhere, right. or twenty-one, twenty-two, you get in-state tuition. 
So that's right. why you, on their national championship team, you had a Mobile uh, kid, right. you had an Auburn High kid starting well, you had, you on that state team. Yeah, you had seven. You had seven from the state of Alabama yeah. on mm-hmm. the team. And they, and, they, and they continue to pull high-level players out of the state of Alabama. I think there's an Auburn High kid going to Mississippi State this year uh, as right. well. But – uh, that's part of it, and I think it's it's all Title Nine uh, with the setup of that. Like, in terms of scholarship splits, it's got to be even from male sports to female sports. And I don't know. I know that that there is a movement trying to generate more scholarships for baseball, turn it into a fully funded funded scholarship sport. And right. I mean, I mean, some something like that, and the state of Alabama could take some steps to make it more even for Auburn and Alabama. If it ever got if Butch Thompson ever got to a level playing field with the rest of the country, right. he'll rattle off right. three or four national championships. So so is that is that an NCA rule or is this a, just the college rule for Auburn? I mean, what it's 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 an NCAA rule with Title 9. Like everybody gotcha. everybody that. has the I get that. Okay. So so does the NIL help that at all? Yes. Situation? Yes, and and I know for a fact it has helped because uh, Auburn's able to get closer to a level playing field in baseball. Now, having said that, teams like Mississippi State that already have supplemental stuff, right. they generated a crazy amount of money off that national championship and were able to give 30, 40 guys a lot more money right. than most of the Auburn players were. Right, right. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the call, Dad. Good to hear from you, man. Hate to cut you off, but up against a break. We appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390. We'll talk about the best and forest things we saw from over the weekend, plus some Auburn basketball news to discuss. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. And Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goetz. He is Carter Bird. We appreciate Dak calling in. Always good to hear from him. We'd love to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390. Carter, I want to push off our best and worst things because we have a lot of Auburn basketball news to talk about, including some breaking news is this real wait hang on hang on hang on i I gotta mention this is this is this about wanting to talk about auburn basketball breaking news or is this about trying to avoid the pain no we're we're gonna talk about it don't worry we are gonna talk (laughs) about what happened because there are some good things that happened over the weekend and there are some not so good good things things happened for you no they did not they did not and no we will i promise we will talk about those the best and worst things we saw in sports from over the weekend but i want us to have plenty of time uh, to talk about the two uh, big auburn basketball pieces of news uh we'll start with the smaller piece of news the one that doesn't really affect Auburn anymore, but it is Auburn related. Uh, as of about 15 minutes ago, Alan Flanagan, of course, played at Auburn and, and was a senior at Auburn, has now committed. He was in the transfer portal and he has committed to play for Ole Miss. And so he will be playing in the SEC. He will be uh, he will be playing for his father, of course, who went and joined that staff with Chris Beard, which is a loaded staff. There's no doubt about it. Alan Flanagan has committed to play for Ole Miss Carter. Your thoughts on uh, Alan Flanagan going to Ole Miss? I mean, happy for him. 
Sure. We figured it was coming. It's just we figured it was going to happen. Just like Alan Flanagan leaving became like one of the worst kept secrets on Auburn's campus. This has been one of the worst kept secrets of the transfer portal. It's well, if he doesn't go play professionally, which he's not going to have an NBA draft opportunity, it would have had to have been uh, the the Australian Basketball League or something like that, or in Europe. Um, with those situations, if he didn't go there, he was going to go to Ole Miss, and mm-hmm. it was always the case. And I mean, happy for him. Um, remains to be seen how much this impacts Ole Miss. I mean, he's going to play a lot, and he's going to score a lot, and he's going to get the ball a lot, and it's probably an upgrade over what they have. But I don't think I don't think Alan Flanagan is your starting three. I don't think you're capable of being a very high-level team at Ole Miss that can compete in the top quarter of the SEC. What if Alan Flanagan gets back to what we were seeing him get to at the end of last year, where he used to be pre-injury, where, believe it or not, he was on high-level draft boards in the NBA. If he, I'm saying if. It's our favorite game to play, the what-if game. What if Alan Flanagan gets back to that level or even takes another step up, if that's possible, and gets even better? What could Ole Miss be with Alan Flanagan at that level if he's playing? I mean, they could be pretty good, and they could be solid in in year one under Chris Beard, but there's always... Chris Beard is a really good basketball coach. There's always going to be a limitation, especially in basketball, in terms of the talent Ole Miss can bring on its campus. Auburn is pretty well positioned in relation to Atlanta. Uh, You're not far from Florida. You're not far from Birmingham. You're well positioned to acquire high-level talent, and we've seen Auburn's ability to dip into New Jersey, dip into Arizona, these these areas where you wouldn't think Auburn can dip in there. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss, he's going to get – Chris Beard's going to get talent in the door, but I think there's going to be a kind of glass ceiling on, on just how high they can go because you're so far away from Atlanta. And you're not – I mean, Auburn's closer to Birmingham than you, than than – Ole Miss is, and Auburn's been a better basketball program more recently than Ole Miss has, and like it's, there's enough factors there where I think it's, it's difficult to get extremely high level players on your campus. I'm with you, but I think Chris Beard, if he can start winning at Ole Miss and being a, a competitor in the SEC, he's gonna get some dudes look, to come look, to Oxford, look. Mississippi. He's a great coach, and he's going to get competent high-level players on his team, and they will be a top half of the SEC program year in, year, year in and year out. I just don't think we're ever going to see them be a top three program in the SEC, especially once Texas and Ole Miss or, and Oklahoma come into this conference. Mm-hmm. I will say as well, like, I don't... I I'm curious to see how the amount that Ole Miss had to pony up and commit to NIL for Lane Kiffin to stay there. Are the coffers a little bit dry for basketball? Is that a little more difficult to leverage the transfer portal, to leverage NIL for high school players? 
for basketball because you're having to make such a big commitment to football. And, I mean, remains to be seen if they actually live up to that commitment mm-hmm. in football. We'll see. I think it's interesting to see what Ole Miss athletics are going to become with football. We know the craziness with Lane Kiffin, basketball with Chris Beard, and now Alan Flanagan, who committed out of the transfer portal to play for Ole Miss. And you have baseball, who just won a national championship last year and not only missed the NCAA tournament, they didn't make the trip to Hoover because they were bottom half or bottom two in the entire SEC. That's one piece of uh, Auburn-related basketball news. This one, though, Auburn fans are really excited excited about and should be excited about we'd love to hear your thoughts on it 334-321-1390 over the weekend something that we've been waiting on something that as time went on I think Auburn fans started to get a little bit more antsy I won't lie I started to get a little bit more antsy and even talking with people trying to figure out what this guy was going to do he was receiving really really good uh, information from the NBA from the pros he was really performing well when he was playing in these big time games against some of the best talent that there is Jani Broom over the weekend has announced that he is coming back to Auburn for one more year and Auburn fans should be very very excited they should also be thankful because if Janai Broom wasn't on this team and we're going to talk about this if Janai Broom was not your starting center this year Auburn was going to be in trouble and I think there are a couple of things to consider here I think all in all Bruce Pearl and Auburn knew that that Janai Broom was going to come back I think they knew that yeah now did we expect him to perform as well as he did no probably not and credit to him for rising up to the occasion, playing against some really good competition, and showing out. Now, I do believe, and this is not because we want him to be back at Auburn because it makes Auburn better. I'm looking at Janai Broom as a basketball player. I think he needed one more year. And I think another year in college can really, really benefit this young man because it's about time, and I told a buddy of this yesterday, it's about time for an Auburn basketball player to choose Auburn one more year rather than go pro because it just seems like it hasn't truly worked out if they would have come back for another year. I think Jani Broom could be that guy where he, yes, he's getting pro interest, but coming back one more year to Bruce Pearl, this Auburn basketball team that we're going to see in 23 and 24 with Jani Broom at the five, I think he can really benefit from this. It will make Auburn much better, don't get me wrong, but I think Janai Broom as a basketball player and somebody like myself who loves breaking down the game and breaking down individual players, Janai Broom is really going to benefit from one more year under Bruce Pearl. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. And we we've talked about this, we've talked about how it kind of it seemingly took him some time to kind of feel out being in the SEC, feel comfortable on the new stage. Last year, he was 14.2 points per game, uh, 8.4 rebounds, 2.4 blocks, and 1.3 assists. He was uh, 52.7% from the field, and he was 29% from three, which got a lot better there at the very end of the Mm -hmm. year. What if he gives you production similar to his second year at Moorhead State? What if he gives you... 16, 16 and a half points per game, 10, 10 and a half rebounds. Uh, what if he one and a half assists? He doesn't have to go crazy with that. What if he gives you three blocks a game? I mean, he's he's a an above average passer for a big man, and he's gonna have shooters around him. Credit Bruce Pearl with his ability to do that. Uh, and what if he shoots it 55% from the floor? 
What if he's 31, 32% from three and can help spread that defense out a little bit more? Look, Janai Broom is poised with what Auburn added around him to have a huge year. With the way that he performed at the G League Elite Camp and the way he performed at the NBA Draft Combine, I don't think there is a reason that he should not be a top three player in the SEC. I don't think there's a reason why he shouldn't be a top six or seven center in college basketball. And if that happens with Denver Jones, with Aiden Holloway, Trey Donaldson, with the late-season version of Katie Johnson coming off the bench, with with Chaney Johnson, with Chad Baker-Mazzara, with all of those guys, with Jalen Williams, with all those guys around you, this Auburn team is going to be really good. And I think they've got, absolutely got a chance to win the SEC. I think they're going to finish top two in the league, personally. And to me, the thing that needs... I think this team is going to jail pretty well with the shooting and everything. I don't think they're necessarily done adding. You still have some scholarships to play with. Maybe you go get a depth piece uh, in the front court, kind of behind Jalen Williams, behind... Chaney Johnson behind Janai Broom and Dylan Carwell mm-hmm. because we've seen, look, love Janai Broom, love Dylan Cardwell. They have a tendency to foul a lot really quickly. Yes. Whether Janai, and some of them, whether Janai actually fouls the guy or not, he gets the, called whistle, for it. the whistle does not seem to go Janai's way very often. Now, Dylan Cardwell, if you played him a starting level mi- amount of minutes, He'd foul out in 12 minutes. He would. <laughs> yes, he, he would. would. He absolutely uh, would. Which is why I think he's he's had to play this short burst role. Um, but Which he has embraced pretty well. I, I, I think it'd be, it would be worth having somebody that you feel comfortable that if he got in a jam, which will happen at some point in this next year, you can go to. But with the way this team is built, with the amount of people who have left Alabama and how that team has no size right now, and there's now rumors about Javon Quinterly potentially transferring out. Wouldn't that be something? Mm-hmm. With the fact that tennis, that Kentucky has eight scholarship players right now, eight out of 13, they can't get anybody to come because they brought in these three five-star freshmen. Oscar Shibway is probably coming back, and everybody's just like, why do I want to transfer in there and be a backup? Like, they'll find somebody eventually, but I think that's going to limit their depth and how good that team can be. Mm-hmm. Arkansas still can't shoot, from what I've uh, heard. Florida will be better, but you're still in year two at uh, at Florida under Todd Golden. Tennessee, a lot of new pieces. Going to be fascinating. I think that might be Auburn's biggest competition for the best team in the SEC. And with all of that being said, with the SEC possibly being down, I want to go on on the on the subject of all the players around Janai Broom before we go to break. The players around Janai Broom in 23 and 24 are going to be so much better than they were in 22 and 23. And I don't mean that against those guys at all. But Auburn upgraded, man. Auburn upgraded in the transfer portal. Auburn upgraded in the high school recruiting ranks. At almost every position, they upgraded. And I think Bruce Pearl realized he had to do that. He did it. And think about the numbers. You you mentioned them earlier, Carter, that Car- that um, Janai Broom put up when he was the go-to guy when all of the pressure was on him at the five spot. Think about what he can do when the pressure is not 
on him, when he can pass it out, when he when can he, become when he just a threat. Has shooters, like the yep. pressure's still going to be on him because people are going to look at him going into this next year and be like, that's Auburn's best player. And I'll say this. I think Auburn can go as far, as far as Jalen Williams wants. And we've had that conversation so many if times Jaylen about Williams what Jalen Williams is and what could he that, could be. Flips that switch, Auburn legitimately could have two of the top five or six players in the SEC just in the front court. And if that happens, we're talking about a Sweet 16 Elite Eight Auburn team with maybe sneaky Final Four upside? If the guard play can be up to par, absolutely. And, and I it think it's going to be. I think you're going to see a, a much better Trey Donaldson mm-hmm. that has leaned down some, that's going to be a little quicker. Love his vision. Aiden Holloway is everything you want in a Bruce Pearl guard. And so I'm excited about that. Denver Jones, you've got a guy who's a 20-point-per-game scorer walking in the building. He's going to start at the two. I think people are sleeping on... The way Bruce Pearl has built this roster. I'm with and, you. And the way that this group is going to complement each other and the ceiling of them. And I will say this. When there was a little bit of worry about, oh, no, did Janai play his way into draft consideration? And had he left, we'd be having a different conversation. Auburn would be in trouble if Janai Broom didn't come back. You'd be a tournament team that's probably getting bounced in the first round or you're playing in Dayton. That's kind of what I would have thought your ceiling would be without Jani Broom. Because at this point in the game, Dylan Carwell is not a starting center. Where are you going to go find a starting yeah, center? Yeah, and that's the issue. I, I think the ceiling would be a little bit higher. I think Auburn I, would just really have to run small, be. man. You'd have to almost play two fours and just run and shoot. Just shoot the, shoot the rock. Well, you, you just have to run and your shoot. fours are not that big outside of Jalen Williams. I know, but I'm saying just go small. And you, you would you would be hurting if, if Jani Broom didn't come back. Good news, though, for Auburn fans. Jani Broom announced that he is coming back to play another year for Auburn basketball. We'll talk some more about this conversation. When we come back, wrapping up our number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'd love to hear from you, our wonderful listeners. 334-321-1390. More Auburn basketball as we wrap up the hour when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All right, wrapping up hour number one, talking a little bit more Auburn basketball with the news of Janai Broom over the weekend saying that he is coming back to play one more year at Auburn. And, and there's just so many different directions to go with this. But we've been talking about how he could be even better than what he's already been. And we were talking about the players that are around him, how they at pretty much every position outside of Jalen Williams, you got better on this upcoming team for Auburn basketball versus what you had. And you were talking about, Carter, if if Janai Broom could get to his Moorhead State numbers, I don't think he has to. Think about what if, if he just stays consistent, what, given everything else that the other players are going to do, this team is going to be really, really good. Well, yes, yes. They're going to be really good regardless. <laughs> They're going to be a top three team in the SEC in my mind because I think Alabama's going to take a huge step back. I think Kentucky's going to continue to take a step back as – Maybe reality starting to set in that Cal's not the guy. He hasn't um, been the guy for five years. Well, I know, but but because he keeps landing a lot of five stars that may or may not pan out, they and he puts a lot of guys in the NBA, they still stick with him. So there's that. I think you're going to see 
Auburn versus Tennessee for the SEC championship. And I think that that is regardless of the whether Jani Broom elevates his play or not. But look, there were some lulls in the season last year where I think he got a little down on his confidence. And I mean, if he can shoot, heck, if he is a 65% free throw shooter next year, 65%, that's still not good. If he's 31% from three, he'll be 16 points a game. He'll be at that number. And if he can give you a couple more rebounds, which I don't think is asking a lot, Mm -hmm. especially in this league, who are your big men about to be in the SEC? Sheboy if he comes back. Because Betty Ako's gone. Mm-hmm. Sheboy will likely be back. You, you've you got the, the kid at Arkansas who's coming off a torn yeah. ACL. I, I'll take my chances with Jani Broom in that matchup. Uh, Walsh is gone at, at, at Arkansas. Castleton's gone at Florida. And regardless, Jani dominated him mm-hmm. in their only matchup this past year. You've got the seven-footer from Marshall, but, I mean, he's a baby deer out there. He's going to have to find his legs in this conference. Well, that's why, conference. that's why I think Jani Broom will be the best center in the SEC by far next year. Not willing to say that just because Sheboy is that good. And I'm going to give Sheboy the, the respect there. Jani can be better than him, but I don't think it's going to be by far. I think Jani has a better all-around game, though. Sheboy's yeah. just—he's a, a force inside, and yeah, he—he he has a, an yeah, unbelievable he's six knack. Foot seven, and he's a brick house built of pure muscle, and he has an unbelievable sense of going after a rebound. Rebounds, yes, there's no doubt. But I think if you put just the whole game on the on the on the floor, I think Jani Broom's a better center, and I think he can become even better than what he is, and be better than Oscar Sheboy. Look, I'm I'm I'll I'll say this. All right, I'll take a step farther. You go find me a betting line for SEC Player of the Year this next season, Jani Broom. I think Jani Broom, I'll say it right here, Jani Broom will win SEC Player of the Year this next season in in basketball. I think he very well could. He I mean, very well, he'll be in the he's running. He's a high-level defender. He's, gonna re, he's going to rebound better. And, and, I mean, also, let's keep in mind, a good portion of the year – and this, this is the one thing that I think could ruin it. He dealt with foot injuries early in the year. And that seems to be a recurring thing. But if he's healthy for all the entire season, he's going to rebound better. He's going to shoot better. He's going to have help around him. Jani Broom will win at SEC Player of the Year. Auburn basketball should be better with Jani Broom coming back. Hour number one in the books. We'll talk basketball, baseball, and yes, even Auburn football coming up in hour number two. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. 
You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway in hour number two here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goetz. He is Carter Bird with you here on the Auburn Opelika, sports leader, ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of the first hour, you know what to do. Go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can find it uh, on ESPNAU.com as well or again. And just search on the line wherever you listen to podcast. Here at hour number two, uh, we're going to talk some Auburn baseball and basketball again. That's what we talked about in the first hour. Of course, Auburn baseball hosting a regional for the second year in a row. And Auburn basketball got some really, really good news over the weekend with Janai Broom returning to the Plains. So we talked about that in hour number one. We'll talk about it some more here in the second hour plus the SEC spring meetings going on this week and uh, some interesting topics that will be uh, discussed down there this week and so we'll talk about that a little bit here in hour number two as well but phone lines are open we'd love to hear from you uh, and your thoughts and you can be a part of the show be on the line 334-321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 and that's what we are doing to start hour number two as Terry is on the line welcome in Hey, good afternoon, guys. I hope all is well. Yeah, doing good, Terry. Hope you're doing all right. Good. Carter, buddy, that's quite a statement. John Brennan, the player of the year. He's going to do it. You watch. He's got shooters well, I'm, I'm around him. He's going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. I think he will benefit more than any other player from the talent they, that Bruce Pearl is bringing in him around. 100%. Him. I, 100%. I think he suffered last year with a bunch of five foot seven and five foot eight inch guards that had ego issues. And, and I really. I, I, I just really, I don't believe we realize how big that really was. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, and that's what I was sort of talking about. Even if Janai, let's say he, for any reason, he doesn't get better. He does exactly what he did last year. That's going to be just fine because Auburn actually has the support around him for right. him to be comfortable and him to be better. I, I 100% agree with you, Terry. Now you guys were going over some of the other big men in the conference. Uh, Sheetway's back. He's coming back in. Of course, I don't know. That I believe Oscar so. Sheetway yes, going to be that successful in the pros because. The way the pro game is played now, quite honestly. Well, that's why well, he's, he's coming back for another year at Kentucky. Terry, the he's six foot seven and he can't shoot. Yeah, and the NBA is full of six foot seven guys that can. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I mean, so, he's really strong, but they've got really strong centers who are six eleven, seven foot, seven one. I mean, and those guys can shoot a little bit too now in this day and age. Yeah, and that's what I said about Denver. Denver's been just sitting waiting. I don't care if it was Boston or Miami. They're going to be so tired. Denver's going to run them off the court, I think. Yeah, I don't think anybody has any answer for Nikola yeah. Jokic. He's just, he is so good at everything he does. He, I, nobody really saw it coming, but here he is. He, he is unbelievable. Well, he got drafted in the middle of a Taco Bell ad. Yeah, how about that? Huh? I saw that. And now he is, he's probably the best player in the NBA. I know Joel Embiid won the MVP, but you can make the argument that it could have been Jokic as well. And so, but that's what the centers do in the NBA now is you have to be able to play down low, but you also have to be able to be a threat from outside, which I think think Jani Broom can be, unlike Oscar Sheboy at Kentucky. Uh, you know what impresses me about uh, Jokic as much as anything? Is the way that guy passes the ball back out of the oh, yeah. block. Mm-hmm. Oh, he yeah. Just, he just, I thought Tim Duncan was the best passer I've ever seen. That guy's got Duncan beat. He, uh, I In don't terms know if he of has a big a, man, yes. Yeah. For a big man, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, 
I think other skills, okay, I'm, I was a Tim Duncan all the way, but the way he passes the ball down low, I back out, is, is incredible. And so think about if Janai Broom could develop, maybe not to that extent, or maybe he could, but think about if he could continue to improve as a passer to where we know he's a threat down low on this Auburn team, and then he has the ability to dish it out to when Auburn actually has shooters this year, like a Nikola Jokic can, Janai Broom could really benefit from being able to pass like he can. Well, there's, I mean, J- Jacob, come on. I mean, Janai Broom needs to get better, right? But Nikola Jokic, come on, that's a whole different. That's like learning <laughs> to swim in your first time of swimming across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. No, I, you know what I mean, though. If, if Janai could yeah, at I least you're going. I see just you're, improve you're, as a passer. Yeah, right, right. So I just, I just, I just think he's going to benefit so much mm-hmm. from the talent around him. It's going to be incredible. And I don't know about the whole SEC, so maybe you guys – I'm going to listen in, but you guys could tell me about what everybody's returning because, you know, Alabama's so good, but – They you know, are what really they lost, short. Incredible. They are really short right, right now and have not figured anything out when it comes to acquiring size. Mm. You guys can go over that. I appreciate it. Y'all, y'all have a great day. Yeah, we'll do, Terry. We appreciate the call. It's always good to hear from you as we start our number two on the phone lines. We'd love to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390. Just sort of thinking around the SEC in basketball terms, of course, with Janai Broom coming back for Auburn, one of the uh, biggest names to come back to a team uh, in the offseason, wasn't transferring anywhere, but obviously tested out the uh, professional waters and he really impressed at the G League and then the NBA Draft Combine. Had a chance to go pro and decided to come back to Auburn. And we, we've talked about how that is such a benefit. But Carter, just thinking around the SEC, outside of Oscar Shibway, I don't know how good of talent is returning to this conference because of what they just lost as well. I do feel like the SEC is going to take a a little bit of a step back this next year, and then I think you it'll return. I think this is just going to be a little bit of a down period in the uh, in the cycle, and I'm not sure that that you're going to have a bunch of high level players. Yeah, and and, and I think that's why some. you will have some. You actually. will, yeah, and, and I think there's a difference in in guys that are returning versus guys that have been added to a team through the transfer portal. Because Auburn, outside of Jalen Williams and Janai Broom, you wouldn't necessarily say is bringing a ton back. Yes, you have Trey Donaldson. Yes, you have KD Johnson. But I'm talking starters. You have three new starters in the five right now for Auburn and, and for Auburn's sake. And so when you look around the SEC, there are going to be guys, but – I just don't – I'm with you. I think the SEC will be a little down this year. Alabama has ha, is going to have to figure out who what they're going to do. Uh, Florida, I agree with you in the first half. I think they will have guys that maybe can play a little bit better. But Castleton's gone, right? He's out of there. Um, Arkansas, we know what that just – we know what that's going to be. They've got first-round draft picks all over that roster that will be gone coming up in June. And so – I just think around the SEC, I think Auburn's going to have some of the most talent returning and coming in through either the transfer portal or the high school recruiting ranks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's what I keep coming back to. I think this Auburn team's getting slept on. By the way, this is what I was referencing uh, with Betty Ako staying in the draft. Alabama's rostered next year. Aaron Estrada, fifth year, six foot three. Latrell Reitzel Jr., six foot three. Uh, D- Davin Cosby, six foot five. Rylan Griffin, six foot five. Chris Parker, six foot six. 
Mohamed Diabate, six foot seven. Uh, Sam Walter, six foot eight. Nick Pringle, six foot nine. Sears is now back at six one. Quinterly is probably back at six one. That's not a big team. Mm-mm. Your tallest player, six nine. You have two guys taller than six foot seven right now. Yeah, that's not great. I'm thinking around the SEC, like Ole Miss. Uh, they are returning Matthew Morrell. Um, but in case you missed this, Terry, I know you were asking about this. Alan Flanagan has committed to play for Ole Miss, so he's a returning SEC player, not returning to his current school, but. He is going to another SEC squad, and so that's a player that Ole Miss will be able to, I think, benefit from. Maybe not just unbelievable benefit, but I think Alan Flanagan will help that Ole Miss squad and and make them a better team. Uh, but I just don't know. You're going to be hurting to find elite-level talent in the SEC in basketball this year, one through five at all 14 schools. I just think it's going, to be, it's going to be tough to find what we've seen over the past few years in what could be a down year for the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas and Kentucky, if they're freshmen pan out, then yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to have some high-level players there. Aiden Holloway, um, as far as guys with a high ceiling, just doesn't feel like there's as many right now. Moncrief at Georgia? I mean, I'm just trying. I'm trying to think around the SEC of what, who could be that, who's coming back that would be just like, oh wow, he's coming back type of thing. And I just, there's not that many of them, man. There's really, really not, and, and unless we're missing some. But I mean, Auburn's bringing back some of their guys. A lot of their guys have left too. Um, I mean, it's just there's so many guys that left the SEC. Also, whether it be transfer portal, whether it be the draft or whatever. Um, I just don't I don't know man I don't know that I don't think the SEC in basketball as much as we like to talk about this conference being good and being one of the best and getting better every year I think 23-24 may not be what they have been which I think could benefit Auburn who I think will have some of the best talent in the conference is is Liam Robbins out of out of years at Vanderbilt I know he declared for the draft but theoretically in the next 24 hours he could come back and then there's your guy who could be your SEC player of the year challenger for Janai and Shibwe and you your, have uh, your potential top your other top two centers in the SEC besides Janai will be Shibwe and Liam Robbins is he's a fifth year last year but I know that you get the the double year back because mm-hmm. Zepp was a sixth year guy is Brazil or Brazil I forget how you pronounce it from Arkansas is he officially coming back is that do we know that yet because I know it was being talked about as him coming back for Arkansas but I don't know if that's official or not you may have to check me on that but if he comes back there's a solid name that that you could I don't think note. he's better than than the duo of Shibwe and Broom no, I don't either. But I mean, if if you're just looking for returning guys in the SEC basketball that you would at least be noteworthy, um, the, he would have to be on that list. But man, I'm struggling to think, and I'm even trying to find some online too. I'm struggling to truly find just big, big returning names in the SEC away 
from Auburn. I really, really am. And so I think that's important to think about with Janai Broom coming back for Auburn. That's probably the biggest returning player in the entire Southeastern Conference who tested the NBA waters, had some really good feedback from the pros, and decided to come back for what Bruce Pearl quoted. He said could be a second round draft pick and decided to come back and play one more year at Auburn. So that's exciting news with Auburn basketball. When it comes to Auburn baseball, of course, they are now hosting their second regional in second year, right? And so in two years, they're hosting back-to-back regionals is Auburn baseball with uh, some really solid teams coming to town. Uh, and Southern Miss is the team that I think everybody has their eyes on when it comes to Auburn baseball. But overall, uh, I think that with Auburn hosting for the second time in a row, it, we talked about this a little bit in the first hour, it just... It just speaks to what Butch Thompson has done at Auburn, what Auburn is becoming on the national stage. Um, They are here to stay, even given all the stuff that they have to go against every single year in in the game of college baseball. Auburn baseball and Butch Thompson, they're right back in the mix after what was one of the biggest in season turnarounds we've seen in a while. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because they were, after the AM series, they were out of the tournament. And now they're hosting. Uh, with a pat, with a we we know how loud it was last year. How Auburn dominated, dominated that regional. Uh, went to Oregon State, uh, out to Corvallis, uh, just a fun fun city name to say, uh, and beat a really good Oregon State team that not a lot of people believed they could beat, uh, and then made it to Omaha and and won again. Beat a really good Stanford team in Omaha mm-hmm. and kind of handled them. Side note. Wade Taylor, the guard for Texas A&M, who averaged 16 points a game, he'll be back for the Aggies at basketball. There's a returner that's solid. Yeah. I yeah, forgot about no, him. He, I mean, he's good, but he'll be a first-team All-SEC guy, but is he going to be SEC Player of the Year? No. I mean, your, your SEC Player of the Year the past, what, two years? have past two, three years, your top two have been – a center and kind of mm-hmm. that three four range yeah. guy i wanted to throw that in because i found that and again just trying to find guys that are coming back for the sec but when it comes to baseball and it comes to auburn hosting a regional yet again eight sec teams carter eight are hosting regionals including south carolina who was really on the fence auburn broke them is what we've all come to realize is that Auburn broke that team this year Um, they absolutely limped to the finish line and just fell across it with their hand out in front I mean it was they barely got there but they're hosting a regional and eight SEC squads will be hosting that's half of the entire hosts are SEC squads we talked about it on Friday man the Southeastern Conference nobody can touch this league when it comes to baseball Oh yeah, I mean, there, look the stats. I had the tw- I had it queued up, ready to talk about on Friday. Ended up not getting to it. I have a little uh, tweet thread about it, but the numbers are insane. And and I said, look, everybody can whine about the SEC favor favoritism and the baseball postseason when it comes to getting regionals and getting into the tournament because we saw Ole Miss get in last year barely and going to win the national championship as further evidence for why the SEC deserves the benefit of the doubt. But the SEC has won eight of the last 13 national championships. That's 61.5%. And and look, baseball is a sport that's designed to have a little bit more parity because 
anybody can have an off off day. A pitcher can go nuts on the mound, or a pitcher can have an off day and get and you can give up ten runs, or you can shut down a really good team, holding zero zero or one runs. It's hard to win national championships in baseball, and the fact that the SEC has won eight of the last thirteen, I'd argue is just as impressive, if not more impressive, than the run that they've been on in football, where I feel like it's a little easier when you got the talent to replicate that success. They've been the runner-up in seven of those years as well. That's 53.8%. Oh, and by the way, two of the other ones that they weren't runners-up, Oklahoma and Texas, who are joining the conference here really soon. Mm -hmm. The last 13 College World Series, there have been 104 teams. The SEC has had 36 of those teams. That is 34.6% of all of the College World Series teams from 2009 to today. And that does not include 2011 Texas A&M, who was a year away from joining the SEC. And that does not include six times Texas made the College World Series and twice Oklahoma did. This SEC conference is dominant and is going to get better. All the, all the programs have gotten better. We haven't seen Kentucky at this level in a long time. South Carolina is getting back to where they need to be. Vanderbilt's back at the top of the sport after a down year or two. I mean, the SEC is so daggum deep in, in baseball. Auburn and Alabama are both hosting at the same time for the first time, I think, ever. And you can't blame the SEC, for just utterly dominating the sport of baseball. And look, if, if, if you want to fix it, win. Get better. Yeah. Because look, the SEC is getting better on its own, mm-hmm. and it's going to get even better when Texas and Oklahoma join the conference. And I'm glad you bring that up, because coming up at 3.30, that is going to be the focal point of conversation with SEC spring meetings going on, talking about the football schedule when those two teams join the SEC. We'll talk about that coming up at 3.30, but when we come back, want to get to our question of the day. Best and worst things we saw in sports over the long Memorial Day weekend. If you have an answer, we'd love to hear from you, our, our listeners. 334-321-1390. Question of the, of the day when we return. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, question of the day here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear from you. Over a long Memorial Day weekend, Carter, we do this coming out of the weekend every day or every single week. Of course, no shows yesterday uh, due to the Memorial Day holiday, but best and worst things that you saw in sports over the weekend. Oh, well, um, hmm. Best is also the worst at the same time. Like, See, both of mine are just like that. Miami Heat, the way that they just battle their butt off and like have no business, no business going as far as they, they have and making it to the NBA Finals, just like the Florida Panthers. A couple eight seeds, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a second. Um... Yeah, that's my best. Is the the eight seeds? Look at what they're doing. Look at what it's awesome. Also, I got two more for you. Sanford baseball winning three games on the last day of their conference tournament to win the conference tournament 
to advance the postseason. Unbelievable. I don't think I've seen anything like that in a long time. That's crazy. Also, Tulane baseball. Yes, that was mine. Tulane yes. baseball. Yes. The 19 and 40 <laughs> Tulane Green Wave who got hot in their conference tournament and now we're getting to play postseason baseball and they're mad. You, you know, it's really fun. They get LSU. So congratulations. There's going to be a lot of people there. Paul Skeens ain't going to pitch in that game. He'll, no. pitch, he'll pitch in game two. Uh, like a lot of these host sites will do. But that's the thing. Is that the best thing you've seen or the worst thing you've seen that Tulane gets in? I don't know. No, I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. (laughs) It's terrible for the product. No, that's It's terrible. It's so bad. It's a historically pretty daggum good baseball program that was having a really rough year who got red hot, won their conference tournament, and uh, God, that'd be awful if, if LSU decides, you know what? Kind of in-state rival. Let's just give them a little taste of ball skeins to reward them for this magical run. That'd be so that bad. They went on. Yeah, don't mess with the green wave, man. Tulane. Worse, worse we're going to have the same one. So I'll let you pick up worse. Well, that's Tulane was the best slash worst thing I saw because I can't decide whether I like it or not. Because, look, congratulations to Tulane for going on a run and getting to the NCAA tournament. Credit to them. But a 19-win team in the NCAA tournament for baseball – just doesn't feel right. So um, that's that is something I saw this weekend. I I can't classify whether that's the best or the worst. Um, yeah, the and again, this one is also the best slash worst thing that I saw is the Miami Heat Boston Celtics series. Everybody knows about it. Everybody knows what was going on. The Boston Celtics played absolutely terrible in the first three games of the series I mean played terrible just like they have pretty much all postseason long and they have rode their talent and their shooting to get as far as they did they then turned it around and decided oh if we play defense and we actually play cohesive team basketball we're the best team in the NBA and so they did that for three games including a buzzer beater tip in by Derek White off of a missed three at the buzzer in Miami in game six to send it to a game seven. So lucky. Oh it was lucky. Marcus Smart took a terrible shot. Well that was what the play was like you were not going to get a good shot. Their late game uh playing their level of play in clutch uh, and the clutch time has been brutal. Oh, I agree. Watch. And so it was a bad shot by Marcus Smart. But there weren't really weren't going to be any other good options. But it almost went in. And then Derek amazing. White, the inbounder, passed it to him, went to the corner, the near corner, for an open three opportunity, didn't get the ball, beeline for the basket, and he was on the left side, put it up and in. If it went to the right, did you see who was on the other side? Jason Tatum. Celtics have both sides covered. That ball was going to get tipped in either way. Derek White was there. He tips it in. Celtics are feeling good. You're going back to Boston for game seven to move on. What could go wrong? Ask the Boston Bruins. It happened to them, too. I think I told you after game four, you know how this is going to go down. You're going to win games five and six. Oh, I know. And you're going to be feeling awesome. Have all the optimism in the the world. And the Celtics are going to rip your heart out in game seven. Sure enough, that happened. Hey, um... What's it like to root for a team whose second-best player can't dribble with his left hand? It's ridiculous. Jalen Brown, it's ridiculous. And the fact that Derek White was the best player last night in Game 7, now credit, Jason Tatum rolled his ankle about 30 seconds into the game. It was he was the best Celtic, let's clarify, because Caleb yes. Martin was awesome. <laughs> yes, Derek White was the best Celtic. You're absolutely right about that. So Jason Tatum was not 100% last night, 
He was 100% for the first six games, though. And the fact that this team, as good as they were, could not just figure it out, and they went back to their old ways in Game 7, living and dying by the three like they're the 2016-17 Warriors when they are not, it's unbelievable. And they didn't deserve to win the series. Neither did the Bruins when they lost to an eight seed in Game 7 inside of TD Garden. So, yeah, it hurts for me, but neither team played well enough to win the series, and so they didn't deserve it. And congratulations to the Miami Heat. Fair. Um, I want to make this point, too. Just another... Um Michael Jordan, as a owner slash front office member, just mistake. They had Galen Martin, and they they cut, cut him. him. Yes, they did. They cut him. And now, he was the best player in the Eastern Conference Finals. That helped he and Jimmy Butler. I mean, they carried the Heat to the to the. NBA Finals? He should have won the MVP for the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Jimmy Butler only won it by one vote. And so, no, congrats to the Heat, man. Celtics didn't deserve it. Miami and Jimmy Butler going for his first ring and Denver going for its first ring in the NBA Finals should be entertaining. But when we come back, we'll talk some football as the SEC spring meetings happening right now. You are on the line with Jacob Goins. And Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Well, the SEC spring meetings, they have it every year. Uh, They are happening this week. And some big notes of conversation that will be had. um, There's multiple, right? There are multiple different topics that will be talked about. One of them is the SEC whether they want to adopt an, or keep the eight-game schedule or adopt a nine-game schedule when Texas and Oklahoma come to the SEC. Another topic of conversation is NIL and how that is going to be controlled. There's already been some really interesting quotes coming from some SEC head football coaches. We'll talk about that as well. Also, the other big topic is field storming, court storming in the SEC and how the conference can limit that because finding teams and schools millions of dollars just isn't good enough for them i like it to go both ways when um an athlete punches a fan in the face we actually punish that athlete just a thought (laughs) alabama just saying and I see both sides with the field storming yes. thing. I do. I see both sides. Like, it, yes, yeah, it is it a stinks. huge safety it's, concern. It is a massive uh, it 100% safety concern. Is. And there's videos that happen every time of Yahoo's being stupid on on their phones, videoing them just decking players as they're trying to walk off the field. I that's I hate that. That's horrible. It also is like something. I have a hard time with it when you see like the SEC network and these things run by the conference, them promoting, like promoting the kick six, promoting Tennessee rushing the field against Alabama. But like, yeah, it's it, their safety concerns 100%. I think there's ways to maybe try to contain it until you get the other team off the field. Try to get them off the field as fast as possible. Um, Sometimes you got you got players out there forever, mm-hmm. and sometimes I mean sometimes after brutal losses you do have players that kind of linger. 
Right. Um, I mean, I think back to when um, was it? Which game would it have been? Would it have been twenty twenty? I it's whenever Jeremiah Denson played his last mm. game at Auburn, and they lost, and it were they were very slow getting off the field, um, and they were, it was just like they were kind of soaking it in that type of thing. Like, yeah, I mean, if you know a field storming is coming, I think you got to take steps to get your guys as off the field as soon as possible. Well, that'll be a conversation one of the many had at the SEC spring meetings this week. The big one, uh, the big two, really, NIL and where that is going and, and who's in favor, who's not, and how you can control it. We know that will be an ongoing conversation until the end of time, pretty much, now that NIL has become as big as it is, especially in the game of college football with as much money that's floating around there. The big, big, big conversation, though, is with the SEC, with Oklahoma and Texas coming to the conference next year. They will be here next year, starting football season. The conversation this time last year at the spring meetings was, are we going to have eight conference games or nine? Well, we're a well, year every, later. Everybody thought it was nine. Everybody, we all thought, thought it, was it was nine. And we're a year later, and we're having the same discussion. Should it be eight games like it is now, or should you get rid of a non-con game and add on an SEC game and make it nine, or should you keep that and just add a whole game to the conference schedule and to the entire SEC schedule and the entire football schedule? These are debates that are going to be had, and there mm-hmm. are so many different ways to go with this. Player safety, revenue, TV deals, all of that plays into this. Eight games are nine, in your opinion, for SEC play. I, I mean, I think momentum is swinging towards eight. I think that's where this is headed. I I had heard some rumblings that there were a lot of teams that secretly liked that. It just wasn't out publicly uh, several months back. For Auburn, in my opinion, you should want eight. And I, I'll say this as well. The SEC offices, if you're looking at it from the point of view that I'm going to have, which is how many teams can we get in a 12-team playoff? Mm-hmm. It's a huge part of it. You want eight. You want eight. Look, I am all for rivalries. That's great. But some of the ideas that people had, including some Auburn fans, of stacking a nine-game schedule for Auburn with your three permanents being some variation of Auburn, Georgia, and Tennessee or Florida as your third one? Heck no. You don't want that. You're try- if you're trying to compete for championships, you're trying to elevate this program, you're trying to do what Clemson did in the ACC, you're trying to get to a spot where you can fight it out toe-to-toe with Georgia, you don't want that. And I know history, rivalries, it's great. You'll sell a bunch of tickets. I get it. I do. But Auburn had to play the absolute hardest schedule in football, and it would not be close every single year And here's in that, the th- in that scenario. And I'm with you. And here's the thing is that – if you're an Auburn fan, and we've had these conversations before they've come up, but it's really important right now because they are being had by the biggest names in the Southeastern Conference as we speak. 
if you're an Auburn fan and you're an Auburn representative for Auburn football, you have got to want an easier football schedule, man. Auburn plays the hardest schedule, one of the hardest schedules in college football every single year. Heck, this year coming up in 2023, we think of this as an easy year for Auburn football schedule-wise, and it's still, what, the fifth hardest schedule in all of college football? Like, if you are an Auburn rep for Auburn football or an Auburn fan listening to us right now, you should want an easier schedule to give yourself a better chance to make it into an extended, expanded college football playoff because that plays into it as well because the SEC's got to figure out a way okay with Texas and Oklahoma coming to this conference and the college football playoff is going to expand how can we dominate an expanded college football playoff like we already have with the four-team playoff that's what's on Greg Sankey's mind it has to be and what has played into this that not a lot of people have talked about is the ESPN money when SEC football games will be on ESPN starting next year because that's a big part of this as well. If you add that extra game and make it a nine SEC game schedule, ESPN is not obligated to pay, to pay more money for that. They're not. They are, they are not a part of that. And so they'll air it, but the schools are going to lose out on that extra money, TV money. So that plays in all of this as well. Look, I, I think if you're the SEC, you have a chance – to utterly dominate a 12-team playoff. Because, yes, six auto bids, five Power 5 conferences, your highest G5 champion, that leaves six spots out there. And and if we go off uh, last year's college football playoff rankings, um, the SC would have gotten, what, four teams? in that playoff, and you bring in Texas, you bring in Oklahoma, there are probably some years here where the SEC could get five teams in. Mm-hmm. Five teams. Which the question Which crazy. includes, could a three-loss SEC team make it into the college football playoff? And I, I think, oh, I think yes. it could. And that's what I'm saying. So the SEC, while yes, they're trying to figure this thing out, they're also licking their chops because – they have a real opportunity to take an even bigger stranglehold over college football than they already have if they can do this correctly with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the conference. To answer that question, a three-loss SEC team getting in. 2019. 2019. Mm-hmm. Auburn goes 9-4, loses its bowl game. Do you know where they finished in the, college fo- in the, in the AP poll? Do you know where they finished? Uh, they finished 14th. In the AP poll and the coaches. That's with four losses. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you have three and you play a schedule like that. You're in. Heck, you're not only in, you're a eight, nine seed. Like, you're healthily in. Mm-hmm. I think you are healthily in the, in the conversation. Let's go visit 2017. Another four-loss Auburn team. Oh, they would have been in 100%. Another four-loss Auburn team, 10th in the AP poll, 12th in the coaches poll. Mm-hmm. Easily would have been in. Easily. Yeah. And so with the college football playoff in mind, the expanded college football playoff that is happening, it's going to happen. With that in mind, 
plus with the TV stuff going on, the SEC is trying to figure out, do we have an eight-game schedule or do we try and add a ninth game and pretty much do... You're gonna you're gonna shake some rivalries up. You are. You're gonna shake some rivalries up, and I think fans have to understand that. You're still gonna play them every other year. Exactly. And you're gonna play them once every four years at home. That that was gonna happen regardless. Mm-hmm. Like some version of the Auburn LSU game was gonna have to disappear. Something like that. Uh, the some rivalries are were going to be sacrificed no matter what. Now what you. What you can do by going to an eight game, one permanent, which would be Auburn, Alabama, uh, Tennessee gets the unbelievable draw of Vanderbilt, by the way. Yeah. Um, you're creating a situation where, for the first time in what feels like forever, Auburn's on like a level playing field with the rest of the conference in terms of scheduling. Right. That's what I'm saying is Auburn should want this to change. Oh, yes. Look, the SEC should want it because. Legitimately, we are talking about you're getting four in every year. Mm-hmm. You're probably every other year or every three years getting a fifth team in. And that's not even talking about if the other conferences don't perform or if we continue to go down this path of the two super conferences in the SEC and the Big Ten. And, and let's say they keep adding teams. You could get even more, and it wouldn't mean as much if your conference continues to grow and grow and grow, but I think it's time for Auburn and the SEC, Auburn especially, to not want to pump its, you know, to bump its chest and say, oh, we play the toughest schedule every year. I don't want Auburn to play the toughest schedule every year because they're having to go through the best of the absolute best week in and week out, and I'm not saying that Auburn should be looking for the easy way out, but... Man, take a week. Take a week off and play Vanderbilt. Take a week off and play Kentucky. Take a week off and play South Carolina. Like, no, those teams are good, but they're not Georgia, right? They're not LSU every year. They're not Georgia every year. It's not Texas A&M every year. You'll play Alabama every year, and that's fine. We want that. But other than that, Auburn itself should be looking for the best possible way to make their schedule easier. Now, Here's an interesting thought. With the TV stuff in mind, with ESPN not being contractually obligated to provide the extra, cough up the extra money if a ninth game is added, if they don't, they're talking about a temporary one-year eight-game schedule with Texas and Oklahoma until ESPN would cough up more money for a nine-game schedule in 2025. So you could have a little bit of best of both worlds with an eight-game schedule and then a nine-game schedule if the schools can make more money off of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, extra money would have to be your incentive, but to me, I think getting as big of a piece of the pie of the 12-team playoff is more valuable, and you have a chance to run these other conferences into submission, literally where it is. You can... You can choke out the Pac-12. You can choke out the ACC. You can probably do it to the Big 12 as well eventually. I think that one's the best of those three, best position to survive. Mm-hmm. But then then you can get this situation where the whole pie is getting... And I know that the national college football fan perspective outside of the SEC may not want this. But this is, this is a business. This is about making money. Mm-hmm. And if you, if 
the Big Ten and the and the SEC have seven of the twelve. Yeah, I mean we're we're gonna be talking about and the Pac twelve Pac twelve's on the verge of collapse. The ACC's on on the verge of collapse. There, you could see a situation where the SEC gets a ton of the pie. And I saw I read an article on SI that said. Somebody calculated it and was giving an estimation that that extra ninth game, if the SEC were to go to that, from the TV deals with ESPN would be worth $5 million per school. So an SEC school is not going to add that ninth game knowing that they can get that type of money from ESPN. And I don't blame them because you're right. This is As much as you want to say this is about the kids and it's about winning and losing, it's about making money. Let's just be honest. And so... That's a conversation being had. Will it be eight games? Will it be nine games? What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks of each one? There's a ton. And I think player safety is a massive one there. Um, I think with that, that brings back up the conversation of if you go to more SEC games, should you eliminate some of those non-con games? I think you absolutely should. I think as much as that would hurt those smaller schools, because, yeah, we know they get paid to come and play, if you're going to play more Southeastern Conference games, you can't play that many non-con games. Just swap it out. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're in a 12-game schedule. You're playing one less game. Now, you probably... If you go to nine games, the SEC is not sacrificing the what some have dubbed the SoCon Challenge weekend or whatever where you play an FCS mm-hmm. team. That's, that's staying. If you go to eight, then we can have a conversation about getting rid of the FCS team and making sure you've got the extra P5 team on there, uh, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... But but I, I come back to if you're... If I'm in Birmingham, I want to position my conference in a way that I can continue to, one, dominate the sport, which is probably going to happen regardless, but that I can have a stranglehold on the sport of college football think about this factor too before we get to break not only do you have to consider the college football playoff chances and how that's impacted some of the schools around the sec do not compete for the college football playoff and will not compete for the college football playoff but you know what they do compete for bowl eligibility and that will be impacted if the sec schedule changes as well think about a vanderbilt or a missouri or a kentucky in a down year or south carolina when they come crashing back down to earth those teams compete for bowl games, not college football playoffs, bowl games. And if you add an extra SEC game where they could get the draw of Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, LSU, like Florida, if they get back, like those are teams that maybe do or don't want an extra yep. game in the SEC. They'd rather play Southeastern Louisiana State. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll say this. I'll give them a little bit of credit. Of those schools that you just rattled off, South Carolina might have a ceiling a little bit higher than those schools and might be able to, to with Shane Beamer, if he continues to acquire talent and continues to somehow, despite what, I mean, I thought he was going to fail. I really did. Um, pull together a roster that wins games, and he's got Spencer Rattler this year. They're probably going to be, they're going to be in the conversation for second best team in the East. South Carolina's ceiling's not been that horrible in the last 15 years or so. We've seen him play for SEC championships. We saw him play against Auburn in 2010. I didn't know this until just looking at old polls, trying to see how the how many teams the SEC would get in previous years. 
Do you know where South Carolina finished in the AP poll in 2013? This is going to blow your mind. Because remember, Auburn played Missouri. Right. Missouri finished fifth. So Missouri won the East and finished fifth in the AP poll. Just take a guess where South Carolina finished. I mean, top 20? I don't know. Fourth. Holy smokes. South Carolina finished fourth in the AP poll in 2013. I definitely did not know that. I definitely didn't know that. I well, don't recall this at all. No, I don't either. <laughs> that Not even close to what I was thinking. But They finished ahead of Oklahoma and Alabama, Clemson, Oregon, and Ohio State. How about that? Huh? Well, interesting conversations going on in the SEC spree meetings about the schedule for SEC football. Eight games, nine games, player safety, TV deals, all that stuff, plus NIL and field storming, all that going on. We'll talk about it as we go on this week. Got to get to our final break. We'll come back and wrap it up quickly here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All right, wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Been a great show today. Talked a lot of baseball, basketball, Auburn news, of course, with uh, baseball hosting a regional for the second time in two years. Basketball got the news of Jani Broom. Uh, We've been talking about football with the SEC spring meetings going on, and the debate has sparked up again. Eight games or nine in the SEC schedule, and I don't quite know where I'm at on that yet because there's two ways. Obviously, there's, there's two sides to it, and with eight games... Yes, it makes it easier because you don't have to play the extra SEC game, but at the same time, if you're playing that extra game, you could get the extra win because it could be Vanderbilt, but it could also be Georgia. And I think Auburn is in a unique spot compared to everybody else in the Southeastern Conference because of who their rivals are, who their cemented teams would be, and opponents would be just about every single year. So, I mean, it's... it's, There's so many interesting combinations, and I think it's... It would benefit Auburn greatly to play an eight-game schedule and only have to be locked into Alabama rather than be locked into Alabama and Georgia, which is, look, I don't think anybody else would play Alabama and Georgia. I know that there are situations where you could build it that way. I don't see Tennessee drawing Alabama, Georgia, and Vanderbilt just like Auburn would have to. Also... 2013 South Carolina might be the most fascinating random team I've ever come across. And I'm going to think about this team forever. Go for it. You absolutely have a field day with that. We'll talk some more about the SEC spring meetings as the week goes on. Busy show tomorrow. Lance Dahl and Austin Handing. You don't want to miss it 2-4 to four right here on ESPN 106.7. Until then, stay safe. I'll talk to you later.